We're going to read out of 1 Timothy, chapter 3, starting in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of faith with clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them, let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own household well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, but also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good evening. I wore my nice shirt for y'all tonight. So, just so you know, that's just the words I say while I'm opening my books. So, here we go. I'm really thankful for this, for this rain. I know for many years, around this time of year, we have a very different feeling. And so, we're just very thankful to have to deal with uh, wet socks instead of the other things that we have sometimes had to deal with. So praise the Lord, right? Tonight, we are continuing, uh, continuing in 1 Timothy. Uh, we're in 1 Timothy 3. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to your Bibles. If you use an electronic Bible, you can tap, tap, tap over to wherever you need to go. Uh, we're going to be continuing um, here. I, I've, I've really been enjoying this series on the household. I've, I've been very blessed um, to go back through this, to really think about what that means for us uh, as a body. I think it's really important for us to, to stop, to pause, to remember what we're doing, and maybe to compare what we're doing with what Scripture says to make sure, you know, that recalibration is really important. Uh, so tonight we're going to continue on. Last week, John did a, a wonderful job starting out this, this section here on, on church governance or the roles of leadership within the church. Uh, so tonight, we're going to continue on. Starting in uh, verse 8, we see that first word, deacons, and that's what we're talking about tonight. Deacons. Uh, anyone know what deacon means? This is the interactive part. Uh, yeah, ser servant or uh, even just um, waiting tables was how the first context it was used. But yeah, it would mean a servant. Um, so as, as we look at this here, we, we're, we're seeing this word and we use this word. And part of what we're going to do tonight, we're going to go through the qualifications as they're listed here in, in Timothy. But we're also going to go through uh, where deacons came from. Why do we have deacons? So I think that helps us to reorient to make sure that what we think about it with uh, this office lines up with what scripture exemplifies and shows. And not just a list of qualifications, but also more so what 
deacons do and what's expected. I think there's a lot of conversation around elders and deacons sometimes gets kind of tossed in at the end. And that's not by design. I think there's a lot more thoughts around eldership. I think deacons, I think, I don't know, and maybe this is me. A lot of people are more comfortable with, with a deacon role and thinking through that. I think there's less, less pressure somehow and I think it's because we have some really great examples in scripture of that. And I know here at Refuge, uh, the way that deacons function here, I'm so blessed. I, j- I just have to say that if we did not have the deacon team that we have, nothing would really happen here. We really have a deacon team that really pulls things together. All different things, administrative things, finance, general details on different things, uh, thinking through what's necessary to actually pull off some ministries that we find are really important. Um, planning and executing different, different projects or even just uh, different service projects that we have or even just the day-to-day. Deacons here at are very, very important. Um, I was looking around. We, we only have a couple of deacons in here. If you're a deacon, go ahead. I'm not going to make you stand. You can wave your hand. Yeah. Oh, there, there we go. You know why there's so few in here? They're all out doing something right now. Being a blessing. Honestly, it's, it really is something. If you really think about who our deacons are and where they are uh, at any given time, we really do rely on our deacons. So going back to this passage here, we're going to look here. Uh, what I'd like to do is we're going to walk through these qualifications like we did for elders, and we're just going to notice some of the differences. So if we look at just the first two words in verse 8, it says deacons likewise. That kind of helps us out. Just... Going back to what elders are, or what overseers are, likewise deacons. The idea is, many of the qualifications or what we expect of deacons in their role line up pretty close to what elders are supposed to do, or at least who elders are supposed to be. Deacons are also supposed to fall in line much like that. In fact, right here, this structure where deacons start out, starts out here, the section, and it says deacons likewise, very similar to what we saw in chapter 2, where we talked about men, likewise women. And the idea was these expectations that we have for men, they're not different than women. They just may see some different application. And that's a similar thing that we're going to see here. So if we look at these here, as we walk through, feel free to follow along, we'll see just how close they really are. And we're going to highlight some of the differences and why there's some differences there. Deacons likewise must be dignified not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. So you see a positive thing stated, they they must be dignified. And then some negatives or some warnings, like they should not be. There's three statements made there, right? Not double-tongued, saying one thing to one person, saying something to someone else, right? We we might say two-faced. You know, you say you're different one way than you are somewhere else. In this case, specifically stating how you speak. Not addicted to much wine. And I think that's more than just drinking. We talked about that with some of the other qualifications we talked about. Um, it has to do with not being overtaken by anything. That's that element of self-control. Not greedy for dishonest gain. And this one is, at times, really important for deacons. Because deacons oftentimes, as we look, they oftentimes have more access to more resources, 
financial things, those, those types of things. So you really want to make sure that you have someone who's trustworthy in those ways. Looking at verse 9, they must, this is a very interesting phrase here, and I, I, I spent a lot of time just really thinking on this one. But verse 9, they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. I think for deacons, this, this is where, for overseers or elders, we would say they need to be able to teach. And I think this is maybe that application for deacons, where it's not talking about specifically teaching in the capacity like we're doing up here. That's not necessarily required for deacons. But what they must do is hold that mystery with a good conscience. So oftentimes when Paul talks about the mystery, what he's talking about is just the depth the understanding of the whole gospel. So they have to hold that with a good conscience, which does lead us to sort of this idea that as they operate, as they live, as they serve, they are able to hold that mystery and that good conscience is it's lived out consistently. It does kind of go back to that not, not double-tongued, that idea that what they say what they would share as the gospel is consistent in their life. They're able to state it with a good conscience because they live it out as well. Look at verse 10. Let them be tested first. Let them also be tested first. Uh, And let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. This is one of the slight differences that we also see with with deacons compared to, to elders. But with deacons... The one thing that we would, we would see in someone's life before they're installed as a deacon is living that consistently. For refuge, what that often means is, uh, and the way that we sort of talk about it in shorthand, who's already deaconing that we can just recognize their deaconness. Right? Who's, who's already doing it? Who's operating in that already, even without being directed? Who's showing themselves faithful? Right? If given a task, who's, who's faithfully carrying it out? Who's showing that track record? Uh, so, so with deacons, we would we want to see something like that before they're installed. Verse 11. This is another place where there's a separation here, a departure from what we see with, with overseers here. It says, their wives likewise, again that likewise word, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. So this, this can be taken a couple different ways. There's a, a couple ways that you can look at this in, in the grammar, in the way this is, this is put together here. So this could be deacons' wives also have some sort of qualification. And some people do hold to that. And that's a, a possible reading of this. But another way to state this would be wives or women who are operating this way. And in fact, some translations, they'll actually put a note here or actually notate here somewhere that this could be recognized as deaconesses also should operate this way. And we actually do see in the New Testament that there are female deacons that are discussed. There, um, Romans 16 verse 1 talks about Phoebe, a servant of the church, and that's recognized in, in, in some translations as she's a deaconess. So we, we do have that role. So for deacons, they, they, and we would hold this, that it could be either a male or a female. 
they would hold these, these qualifications. And I think, again, speaking of women, to notate a specific application of these things. So it gives a, a, a short little list here. Wives should be dignified, which we already saw before, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. That's sort of the, the catch-all. Anything else you forgot? Just faithful in all things. There you go. Just make sure that's, that's also the case. And I think that's a one, major, one of the major departures here from the qualifications for for an elder that actually does outline those things for a, a deaconess. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. And that was discussed before. This is the type of faithfulness that they exhibit. And so this could be applied either to a deacon or a deaconess. Um, the husband of one wife managing their children and their households well. Again, mirroring that of, of the elder qualifications. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So again, this appeal to the faithfulness uh, that they would hold in regards to the gospel. And so when we look at this this description here, you can see how closely they line up, and there are some specifics there. But that, that idea that the leadership needs to be consistent in these different ways, I think is, is one thing you can read all the way through in this chapter for both elders and for deacons. And as, as stated before, it is important, it's more important who you are in Christ than just the things that you do. And it should be highlighted here that it really doesn't state in here for elders or for deacons exactly what they're supposed to do. It doesn't give a, a full-on job description and it details, and just remember you're supposed to do, do these things. Um, it doesn't give those things and, and line those out specifically. I think that's really important because it allows for these offices, wherever the church is, to operate how the Holy Spirit would lead that they might be found faithful in those particular bodies whether it's here, Canada, Brazil, uh, you know, China, Southeast Asia, an island nation, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the culture. It doesn't matter what the church looks like. These qualifications are what's important. And it also works for all time. This worked in the first century, worked a thousand years ago, works today. And so those generalities allow for the church to do what they are led to do, whatever culture, whatever time that church finds themselves in. So this is a pretty amazing way to set up leadership, just in general. These two offices and how they're described allow for churches to operate and to exist specifically in the places that they're in. It's pretty amazing, actually. And at the same time, slightly frustrating. Because it doesn't give you a list to say, now make sure that you do all of these things. There is a, I think you get closest with maybe some of the elements with, you know, an elder should be expected to teach. It says the deacon has to hold the mystery. There's certain things that are highlighted, but again, very general. Right? And that, I think, is the strength of how church leadership is set up. 
It's not a hierarchical structure that could be obliterated. You take out you know, the head and then the rest are lost in their leadership. This structure works really well in certain areas where there's persecution. Most organizations, if you take out that head person, there's disarray. What's been reported in places like uh, China or, or some other area where there is intense persecution, the thought is, like with any other organization, if you take out the pastor, you take out the head, you take out the elder, that everything will fall apart. What ends up happening oftentimes is they might arrest an individual who's leading the church and find that they now have two other leaders that will step up that will continue to lead because they are ready, they are prepared, and they will see that this is a family and we have to carry on. And so the the strength of the structure is to say that what we see as important is that the right people, the people who are qualified, are occupying these different roles. And that's especially important for deacon in a lot of different ways that we'll look into here in just a second. I think one helpful passage to look at is um, in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. This section of 1 Peter is one of my favorites, and I've, I think I've said this if I've referenced this passage before. If you ever find yourself lost and you don't know what to do in the church, come back to this passage, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. If you at least do these things, you're doing pretty good. We're not going to read the whole passage, but I do want to highlight verse 10, because I think it, what it does is it starts to help us talk about these particular roles of, of elder and deacon and how they, they interact with each other as an example for the rest of the church. This section, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, is written to the whole church. It's for everyone. But if we look at verse 10, let's just go ahead and read that here. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Um, Oh, verse 11, sorry, you may not have that up there, you can just listen to me. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves in the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. What you see is, you see a two-sided piece to this. Generally, the gifts that God give, uh, the, the gifts that God gives through the Spirit, can be categorized in either a speaking gift. You're speaking the oracles, and if you want to do, you speak the oracles of God, or you're serving, and if you serve, you serve in the strength that God supplies. It's a pretty good categorization of gifts. And I think this highlights sort of the emphasis of the two offices. One is more of a speaking role. One is an emphasis of service. And both are extremely important. And frankly, I don't think you can have a very healthy church without both of these being highlighted. I think a lot of people who do feel called to some type of service in the church if they perhaps have a gift that is more in mercy, serving, helps, one of these, they'll, they'll say, I, I feel more comfortable being a deacon because I don't have to say anything. 
Uh, and I think looking at this, you can see, yeah, there's generally two groups here. But I think what ends up happening sometimes is we end up putting the, both of these roles in a box. Elders or overseers always look like this. Deacons always look like this. And I just don't think that that is correct. That's not my experience either. And I think in Scripture we have some examples of how that's not quite how that pans out. Walk with me to Acts chapter 6. Way back, Acts chapter 6. Acts is um, the birth of the church. The church is being established. The church is growing. The church is on the move throughout the book of Acts from that first meeting where the Holy Spirit comes, going all the way into the ministry of Paul where the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 6, we're introduced to the early church and some of the difficulties that they were experiencing. Setting the table real quick. The church in Jerusalem at this time exploded in growth to go from about 120 to thousands. And the thousands that found themselves at that church in Jerusalem found themselves there because they were going to celebrate one feast for a few days. And now they stuck around because now we got to learn about this, this Jesus, this new way of living, how to be the church. we got, we got to learn these things. And so they entered the Apostles University, uh, not accredited, but still important. They were there for a long time. So the only way that they would have been able to stay is if people who were living there, who had means, came alongside and served them. And that's sort of the situation that you see. So in in Acts chapter 6, looking at verses 1 through 7, we see how deacons were first established. I'm going to go ahead and read this section here. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or the Greek, uh, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distributions. So they're saying, hey, some of our widows are being overlooked. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Sort of meaning, hey, we as apostles will end up spending our entire day making sure that everybody has a meal when we should be teaching everybody how to be the church. We can't do this. We can't function this way. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers... Oh, and then you see right there the serve tables. So, there you go. That's called foreshadowing. Um, Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And there you start to see what Peter talked about is two, these two roles kind of beginning to come together. Verse five, what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's important. We'll come back to that in just a second. And Philip and Prochorus 
and Nicanor and Timon, not the one you're thinking of. This was a different one. Um, Parmenas, Nicholas, an apostle, I'm sorry, a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, these they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid hands on them. They were essentially commissioned to this role. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So what you see here is the establishment of, of deacons. These ones became the, and I think they became the, the, the prototype. They, they became what they would compare to to see what, what does a deacon really look like is these individuals. Now these seven, they had a really big job. Stephen is highlighted in the very beginning. He is a man of faith filled with the Holy Spirit. That comes into play immediately. Verse 8, Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great, wondrous signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Syrians and the Alexandrians and those of Sicily and, and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. So what ends up happening is these, uh, there is a, a dispute. He's falsely accused. He's falsely accused, just like Paul would be later, just like Jesus was. He's falsely accused of being a rebeller of some kind. And so they brought him before the Sanhedrin. They brought him to the leadership. Stephen then, starting in chapter 7, we see this, and it says, and the high priest said, are these things so? Basically, are these charges true? Stephen doesn't really answer the question. He takes the opportunity to preach a sermon. So here is your, for lack of a better term, here's your head deacon who preaches an amazing sermon before them. And a sermon with such conviction that when you get to the end of this sermon, they are incensed. They are angry with him because of the testimony that he gave concerning Jesus because he preached the true gospel. They were upset with him. Upset to the point where at the end of chapter seven, verse 54, we see this. Now they heard these things and they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. That always makes me cringe when I read that. But you can really understand how angry they are just grinding their teeth but he full of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is the third time that it's mentioned. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they rushed together at him and they cast him into the city and they stoned him. And witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, he cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, which is the classic euphemism of the church, for he died. Uh, side note, it's a beautiful picture of the hope of the resurrection. Every time a believer dies, it's, oh, he fell asleep, meaning he'll wake up again soon. 
That was Stephen's testimony. That's a deacon. So if anyone says, oh, deacons don't. Deacons don't teach. Some deacons teach. Some deacons not only teach, but Stephen was the first martyr. He served the church as an amazing example of how you give your life for Jesus. An amazing thing. And this is where Saul, maybe this is the specific thing that really pushed Saul of Tarsus to finally begin his persecution. The very next verse is in chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. The church then started to scatter. So you could say this is, this is a sad day because they had to all get up and leave. Another way to look at it, Stephen's testimony was so faithful and true to the gospel of Jesus Christ and now elevated, highlighted for the people of that city what Christians really held to and what they did. They'd heard Peter, they heard other teaching. Stephen became the example. It became now very clear that this is what Christians hold to. This is what they do. And so the persecution arose from that day moving forward. After this, we actually get another uh, deacon that's highlighted here, Philip. Now, in light of this persecution and the scattering, Philip gets up and he leaves and he goes to Samaria. Philip is this weird example because he's the only person that I can remember. Someone can correct me if they can think of one. He's the only one who goes by himself somewhere. The persecution happens. He picks up. He leaves. He just heads off to Samaria by himself. They always went in twos before. Philip, for some reason, just like, yeah, I'm going to go to Samaria. He heads back and possibly picks up where Jesus had left off in his ministry in Samaria. But he begins, again, preaching. He does things like cast out demons. He does some pretty amazing things. Again, this, this, this section here is the great adventures of deacons here because this is, this is amazing. This is an amazing example that he gives for the, for the church. This is what you should go and do. And he goes and he basically opens up a new area for the church to go into directly fulfilling what Jesus had said which is, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and to Samaria and then to the, and then Judea and then the outer, uh, the other most parts of the earth. So, fulfilling very specifically what Jesus had called the church to do. So he goes to Samaria. He does these things, word gets back to the apostles and they say, oh my goodness, look at this. This is a great thing. And they basically like, hey, we're gonna send some people to help you down there. And he opens up the, uh, the ministry there in Samaria. He also, uh, in his adventures, he goes and he ministers to an Ethiopian eunuch. And through that interaction, this Ethiopian eunuch, hearing the gospel, trusting in Jesus, the gospel goes to Africa. And so you start to see this expansion start to happen here. And who did that? Those are the deacons. So if anyone tells you, not deacons don't, 
Deacons don't do evangelism. Some deacons do. This deacon did. Living out this idea of holding the mystery of faith with good conscience, the deacons that we see, they become examples of living out the gospel in their actions, in their service. And as you see here, with either giving their lives or risking their lives. And so this idea that deacons are just background people, they, they, they do, they know, they're, they're the ones pulling, pulling the ropes behind the scenes, they do some other things, but they never stand out in the front. I think that's not quite the example that we see. Oftentimes, because of service and faithfulness, a lot of deacons will go unrecognized. And in their humility, won't stand out and ask for those accolades, but... And looking at this, this office of deacon is, is incredibly, incredibly important. Incredibly important for our example. So if we look at this narrative, and we go back to Timothy and look at the examples given there, uh, this, this concept of the, the, the sort of twofold leadership of the church it's, it gets more fullness as we start to add in some of these stories of other deacons and what they've done and some of their examples. And there's one other element there. So what, we're going to go back to Acts in just a second, but there's one other element of, of what deacons do, which is uh, a lot of the responsibility that they're given. A lot of the role that we saw that they were given in Acts chapter 6 was to uh, really manage resources, it happened to be the specific example of Acts 6 was they were supposed to distribute food to individuals to make sure that everyone had what they should have. And that's a very important job, especially if you're hungry. Then all of a sudden that becomes really important. And it is interesting because this is what the, or I should say, the, the disciples, the 12 did with Jesus. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's the disciples that go and they distribute that's sort of the, the other side of this thing. And going back to 1 Peter 4, looking at the qualifications here, looking at, at Acts uh, 6, 7, and 8, elders, yes, and deacons also are meant to be an example of what all believers are expected to do. It's not as though, you know, they do that thing, I do something, you know, I'm not expected to do that. Three different times in the account we saw with Stephen, he was described as being full of the Holy Spirit. And if you look in Galatians, what does it talk about in regards to the fruit of the Spirit? It's not singled out to say, well, this office should have these fruit of the Spirit, the deacons should have this one, and everybody else, you can just have this little list here. There's, nothing's divvied out that way. The expectation is, is that we would all live out the gospel, we would all live out Christ before others and the overseers would help to give uh, a concept of, of encouragement, vision, those types of things. And the deacons would help to be an example and sort of that stoked fire to actually move some of these things forward. Very, very important that both of these are in play. Um, the deacon's role is also one that responds to the body's general ministry and mission. We're going back to Acts. You can just kind of 
maybe notate where we're going. We're just going to kind of talk through it. Acts chapter 5. We have a bizarre story, not often preached about, because it's weird. You have Ananias and Sapphira. Remember the story? I'm sure you remember the story. They had received a conviction from the Lord that they would sell a property and they would give the entire amount to the church. But after they sold it, they kind of thought about it a second time and said, well, we'll give half. And so um, they go to deliver this, right? Then one of them goes in, oh, is this everything? Yeah, this is everything. Boom, God strikes them dead. It's not normal. Uh, they, they take them out. <laughs> uh, Sapphira comes in. Hey, uh, you know, did you get that gift? Oh, is that everything? Was that really everything? Yes, that was all of it. That was the entire amount. Boom, dead. Drag that person out. Uh, it's not talked about a whole lot, and you can see why. Um, it's very weird, but it's done as an example. The Lord uses that as an example to say, the Lord is going to lead individuals in the church to a particular ministry, and they should fulfill that. You can, you can try to directly apply it to, I have a heart to give something, you should give that whole amount. I don't know if the warning that we should take from that is I might die, but the, I think the real application is God takes this extremely seriously. If God puts it on your heart to do something, you need to do it, right? Well, that money that was received, what happened to it? It seems like what it talks about in Acts chapter 6 is they made sure people had food, but they needed someone to manage it. So what ends up happening is people in the body are led by the Spirit to give, to serve, to do something. Money, resources, time, skill, whatever that is. The deacons are the ones who are supposed to help to manage that to make sure that things are done appropriately, that it's done um, fairly, that everyone who has need is served. And so the role of deacon is really to facilitate what God is leading the body to do. Does that make sense? The, The body is led a certain direction, and the deacons are ones that really lead forward in those particular ministries to make sure that they're carried out appropriately in those realms that they have. And obviously the elders have a role as well, but the deacons, like I said, they really are that stoked fire that, that pushes a lot of those things, a lot of those things forward. And so what I, I think is, you know, as we start to kind of land this plane, the idea being, I think sometimes we, we say, well, deacons do the things. We show up and then deacons do the things and then we all benefit from that. And that really isn't what we see in scripture. What we see is that the Lord is leading the body to do something. The deacons are there to make sure that it's done properly, make sure that it's done uh, in an orderly manner, and to make sure that it's done to the best ability that we, that we can as a body. And there's a, a large element of trust there. Imagine the apostles saying, all right, this, this is something that Jesus did all the time. He took care of people's physical needs. Can you do that for us? while we take care of this other part, that's a big deal. That's a huge aspect of what ministry really is. Deacons are the ones who carry out an orderly and appropriate application of mercy from the church. 
So how does this really work out? So let's, let's think through a couple different things. I, I would love to highlight the ministry that, uh, that the men have right now. There, there's, there's groups of men where they're looking for people who have needs and then people are coming saying, I have skill, I have time, I have materials possibly. Where can we apply this? And so then there's an organizational piece to make sure that once those things are gathered, it's applied appropriately. And that's a beautiful thing especially for people who are really in need who then receive that service. I'd say one of the other elements that we have is uh, the pantry. The pantry is another very just resource-driven, physical, material things that help to serve other people. We've talked about the pantry before. How many of us have benefited from the pantry ministry? I think we probably, almost all of us could probably put our hand up to say we've all benefited Right? And so when we start to look at those things, we, we say, like, yeah, we can definitely see how the Lord uses the church and the deacons and the service of others to fulfill these different things. I want to kind of hand out a challenge. I think sometimes we wait as a body. We wait for someone else to tell us what to do. One of the things that's not really outlined here in Timothy, specifically in this passage section here, because it's, this is specifically about the qualifications, but I think we looked at some of these places to say, like, okay, who's really supposed to do stuff? Have, have any of you been to a church where the expectation is whoever is up front and whoever somehow gets paid or someone who volunteers really does all the, all the work? And people just show up. I think that model right there, you can't rely on that model to last for very long. Really what needs to happen is we as a body, we're led as individuals, we're led as households to certain aspects of ministry, different convictions. We have different access to resources where the Lord will place it on our hearts, just like Ananias and Sapphira. I know, not, not a great example, but still. God put it on their heart to do a thing. And they're expected to then fulfill that. It was then brought to the church and then it would become part of what ministry the, the, the church was doing at that time. And so if we look around ourselves now, I think to try to just think of a, an actual physical ministry, I think one thing that we're looking at in our country and in our area is the area of food insecurity people have. I don't know if we've seen there's fewer things on the shelves or prices are going up or a combination of the two. It's terrible when they combine like that. Not only is it not here, it would have been too expensive for me to buy anyway. But I think we can probably all say, has anyone noticed that? Have you noticed that? I've noticed that. I've noticed my food budget that it keeps uh, shifting a little bit. And I think for us to be able to see, you know what, we know that if we really needed something, we could go to each other. But what if we started to actually operate in a manner that was forward thinking with that, to think, you know, instead of buying just two cans of beans, I'll buy three cans of beans, and I'll have a third can of beans to serve someone else. Or spaghetti, or whatever. I'm gonna tell you what to put on your grocery list. But I think a lot of times when we start to think of that way, we think, is the Lord wanting me to do a thing. Sometimes we can think, 
Lord, are you, are you, I'm seeing this need. Is this a need that I should help with? And I'm not telling you to do it, like you have to do it. But we start to see that, we can say, maybe the Lord would have me to do something. As we think about it and pray about it, we say, all right, I feel led by the Lord to buy a whole bunch of rice, and I don't know what to do with this rice. I don't know who needs the rice. Guess who can help? Or don't guess, the deacons. The deacons can help. And I think if we start to think of it that way, and, and that's just one example, but I want to put it out there. What is the, what is the Lord leading you to do, to, to minister in? And you can say, I feel led to do this thing, and I have no idea how that fits anywhere. That's great. That's when you need to find a deacon. That's when you need to say, I feel that the Lord is leading me to do this thing. How can that be of service? I think we start to think that way, we can see how the whole church together as a household, all of us together, will begin to fulfill what God has for us to do as we start to walk in this uh, structure of leadership and that pattern of living for us. And Lord, I do pray that we would be a people whose heart is geared to ministry, Lord, not just ministry of the word, but ministry of service as well. Lord, I pray as we, as a church, continue to grow together, to grow, Lord, not just in you, but grow in fellowship, Lord, that we would begin to be a people who is soft, Lord, who's listening, have a soft heart for what you are calling us to do, and that, Lord, that we would use Lord, those things you call us to do, God, to come and to lay them at your feet. Lord, I pray that we would be in prayer for the deacons of refuge, just recognition of how much work is done, how much responsibility is given. Lord, that we might pray for them, that we might uplift them, that we might thank them, Lord, for their service, that we might look to their example in ways to serve you. And Lord, just thinking about the household in general, Lord, I pray that we would be a well-functioning household, God, that we would love each other, care about each other, that we would uh, bring, Lord, the insecurities that we have, the victories that we have, Lord, that we would come together, that we would pray with each other, Lord, that we would know that as we all walk together in fellowship, Lord, we are strong together as a family, Lord, that you might call us to accomplish those great things that you've called us to. Lord, I pray that we as refuge would, Lord, be united in your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.